Father in heaven, thank you so much for your watch care, for your love towards each of us, for your mercies that are showered upon us and that are new every morning. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us to this time that we have this opportunity to come and study the Word of God together. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to bless us, to be with us, to illumine our hearts and our minds. Help us to understand and give us wisdom to know how to apply these words to our lives this evening. Please, Lord, guide us now is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our study for this evening, we are continuing our parable series. And if you've missed any of them, you can go to the YouTube channel and uh, you can just look up the playlist for the parables of Jesus. I also have a website, adventproductions.com. And you can go there and look for the studies and all the written materials are there for all that I've been teaching. And the video is attached there at the top as well. You can listen along and read along depending which you are, and you can have both if you want as well. But we're making all these uh, materials available online. But our parable for this evening, the unforgiving servant. And once again, Jesus gives a background as to why he tells this parable. So what is the reason? Let's get into our first text for this evening, found in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Matthew 18, 21, the Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus receives this question from the ever-ready, outspoken Peter. God, Jesus, not God, Jesus, how often shall we forgive our brother? And then before Jesus even has a chance to reply, he gives an answer. Seven times? Jesus is seven times enough? And, you know, Peter probably thought that was pretty noble, that he would actually forgive a person seven times for what they did against him. He actually put a limit to it. Seven times. I mean, that's quite a lot, right? Don't you think that seven times really isn't a small number at all? I know if you've read this parable before, you're familiar with this parable, you know what Jesus is going to say. But I just want you to pause here for a moment. If you think about forgiving someone seven times, right? Seven times. I mean, just imagine, imagine they do the same thing to you. Or even if it's not the same thing, it's the same person doing something different just to hurt you again. And you have to forgive them seven times. I mean, look, I want you to think about it from a human perspective, right? If you allow someone to hurt you that many times, people would think you're foolish. I mean, usually the, the saying goes, once bitten, twice shy, right? Once bitten, twice shy. The first time they offend you, you can forgive easily. The second time, maybe possible. But the third time, forget it. Why do you keep letting yourself get hurt? So really, seven times seems like pretty good number already. It seems like Peter's pretty righteous. And on top of that, you know, the Bible does talk about the number seven. We know that the number seven represents complete. Take, for example, the days of creation, right? The, the, the week that we get, of course, God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh. It was complete. That's a complete week. It was perfect. 
Let's show you some other text where it talks about the number seven as well. Leviticus 26, 24. Look at what the Bible says here. Then will I also walk contrary unto you, and I'll punish you seven times for your sins. So God would punish us seven times for our sins. This would be kind of like the last straw for God, right? God's punishing us seven times. Complete punishment, okay? Complete punishment. Where else do we see number seven? Proverbs 6, 16. Look at this. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And you know, seven things are abomination. So six God hates, but seven, it's like complete hatred, complete sin, complete badness, complete unrighteousness. So look, we see the number seven mentioned throughout scripture. You know, we, we can just do a whole study on the number seven, but you know, it, we, we see very clearly, it represents perfect, complete. So when, when Peter says, Jesus, I should forgive seven times, is that enough? Isn't, isn't that complete forgiveness? Isn't that like the last straw, like the very last time we should forgive a person? So it seems pretty logical and pretty good from a human perspective, right? But how does Jesus reply? What does Jesus say back? to Peter's question and answer. Well, in Matthew 18, 22, continuing, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. What a shock it must have been for Peter to hear Jesus say these words, not seven times, but seventy times seven. I mean, look, Who's counting anyways, right? What's 70 times 7? 70 times 7 turns out to be 490 times. And look, really, are you keeping a close tabs until 490 times? Of course not. Of course not. 7 times, easy to count. You could probably recount all the detail, everything that that person did. Number 1, number 2, number 5, number 7. We, we can probably... Remember it pretty clearly. But Jesus says, look, 70 times 7, 490 times. Is there a limit? No, there isn't, friends. You know, by the time you get to the 490th time, you'd probably be immune to that person and what they were doing to you to get to that number, right? That to be able to forgive them that many times. We really aren't counting by this time. So Jesus says, no, there isn't a limit. And when Jesus says that, before Peter can reply, before he can respond, before Jesus can even see the, the horror on his face about <gasps> 490 times, Jesus then launches in to the parable. The parable of the unforgiving servant. So, Let's continue reading, shall we? Matthew 18, 23 to 25. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment 
to be made. So we have this parable. It's a story about a king, and he begins to take account of his servants one day. He begins to look into how much they owed him, what they were doing with their lives in general. And, and of course, it came to this person and how much he owed. And to his shock, horror, and to his utter dismay, the king discovers that this servant owes how much? 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, friends, what is 10,000 talents worth today? 10,000 talents is about 213,840 kilograms of silver. Okay, And in other research and other places and, and other commentaries, you'll find that it's probably worth a bit more. But we're taking the conservative estimate. Okay, It's about 213 or 214,000 kilograms of silver. And as of writing this now, silver is about 835 US dollars per kilogram. 835, just imagine that. So you take 835, and then you multiply that by 214,000, okay? And 10,000 10, talents, it turns out to be about 178 million US dollars. Okay, and I'm in Malaysia here. That's about 732 million ringgit. Let's just round down for the sake of this servant to make it sound a bit better. It's about 700 million ringgit. Now, if you're thinking like me, you're probably wondering, how on earth does somebody rack up so much debt? How on earth is someone able to be able to borrow that much? Right? What was this guy doing? What was this servant doing that, you know, even the king, that he must have been really rich to, to be able to lend or, or give this person almost, what, 700 million ringgit and he not know it until he sat down to take an account of all his servants, right? So this king must have been really, really, really rich. But needless to say, this was an inordinate amount that the servant owed. And so 730 million ringgit, uh, or in US dollars, 178 million US dollars. And so now we know and we begin to understand how much this servant owed. Then we begin to understand the actions of the king. It doesn't seem so unreasonable after all, what, what, what was he doing? What was the king doing? Do you, do you see there? In verse 25, at the very end there, it said that as much as he had not enough to pay, this king, the Lord, commanded him to be sold, his wife and children to be sold, and everything that he had. The whole family, all his possessions were sold. And, and honestly, was it really worth it? Were they really worth 170 million US dollars? Probably not. You know, even in a few lifetimes, they probably could not earn enough to be able to pay him back, you know. So if I'm able to earn how many millions of dollars in one lifetime, it's just amazing already, right? But not many of us do do that. And so this king, he finds out how much he owes. He orders for his whole family and all his possessions to be sold until everything is paid back. That's justifiable. 
730 million ringgit, 178 million US dollars. The king is justified in his actions. But before this order, this mandate can be carried out, can be executed, how does the servant react? Let's continue the parable. Matthew 18, 26 to 27, the Bible says, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. Before this servant can be hauled off to prison and the whole family, the servant falls down on his knees and he begs and he worships the king and asks and begs for patience and for mercy. This king must have been a good king. Must have been an excellent king. You know, this king, he, 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 he closely represents our God the most. You know, in previous parables, we've studied about rulers and, you know, masters and they seem pretty bad but in this parable the king is a compassionate king he sees the servant fall down he has compassion and mercy on him sees how much he owes sees how much he's crying out and guess what 170 million us dollars of debt wiped out just like that isn't that amazing this was the mercy of the king. This was his compassion. This is what you call, my dear friends, grace. An unmerited favor, an undeserving favor shown to somebody. If he had gotten what he deserved, he would have not only just gone to prison and have everything sold, he probably would have been executed. He would have probably been killed. But he's forgiven. The king in his mercy forgives. But friends, what happens next? The servant happily goes out from the palace with a burden off of his shoulders. But what happens next? Let's keep reading, shall we? Matthew 18, 28. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. So what happens, friends? This servant is forgiven this huge debt, $170 million, goes out from the king's palace, finds his friend that owes him 100 pence, takes him by the throat and demands for it back. Friends, how much is owed this man? 100 pence. You got to understand that back in those days, you know, today 100 pennies is one ringgit, one US dollar, right? But back in those days, people were paid one penny a day. And that was the normal, usual wage, okay? And, you know, today, let, let, let's calculate that, right? A penny a day, it's about, a day's wage today, pardon me, is about what? A hundred dollars, hundred ringgit, right? So if a person earned a hundred dollars a day, that would amount to about 10,000 that this man owed, okay? He owed a hundred pennies, you know, you earn a hundred, hundred times a hundred, it's 10,000. So this man owes about 10,000. And look, honestly, that's not a small amount. It's quite a large amount, in fact. So this man, he owes about 
10,000 to his friend. And obviously now we know what this man was doing, right? He'd been lending his money out, but he'd lending to all his friends and they have not been paying him back because he thought he had just so much money and they don't feel the pressure to pay him back. He thinks he has an unlimited supply from the king. But now, oh, maybe he's a bit scared. I've been forgiven 178 million. I better go back and get some of that back. Maybe, you know, he's got a good intention, right? But what happens? He asks for it back. He's asking for this back. His friend owes him $10,000. Now, I just want you to understand. What is 10,000 compared to 178 million? Okay? What is 10,000 compared to 178 million? Do you know that's only about half a percent? It's not even 1% that this guy owed him compared to what he owed the king. But yet, what did the servant do? Let's keep reading. Matthew 18, 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. This friend, this fellow servant, he, he, he falls down at the feet of, of his friend and he begs him for mercy and he asks, give me patience and I'll pay it back to you. But he has no mercy for his friend and he throws him into prison until he will finish paying the debt. Now look, the amazing thing is this. How could his friend pay him back the debt if he was in prison, right? It doesn't make sense. He should have told him he needed to go work harder to pay him back every single penny. But he didn't. He threw him in prison. Now look, if you compare the plea of his friend compared to what he did to the king earlier, the first servant, right? You will see that it was not very much different. Their pleas were very much the same. Both of them fell down at the feet of that person and begged for mercy. But yet the first servant did not treat his friend the same way that the king treated him at the very beginning. He totally forgot the mercy and the debt that was forgiven him from the king and he became so unreasonable to such a small amount that his friend owed him. And so what happens? What happens? Matthew 28, th uh, pardon me, Matthew 18, 31 to 35. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called them, said unto him, O oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servants, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So the one that was thrown into prison, his friends hear about it. He, they see his situation, and they feel sorry for him, and so they go and tell the king what happened. 
and he comes and delivers uh, you know you know the 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 king comes and and throws that man the the one that was one that was unmerciful to his friend he throws him now into prison until everything would be paid friends this is kind of like a little bit of an illustration of what will happen if we do not forgive those who have wronged us until 70 times 7. So obviously the king represents God. And you know, the focus of the parable really is on that first servant who owed over $170 million, right? So he was forgiven, but he went out and he didn't forgive his friend. So this, this, this first servant, his actions were all in the spotlight. And you see, friends, we all owe God a debt that can never be paid. It is beyond our comprehension and our ability to pay back. What is that debt? It's the debt of forgiveness that God has given to us from sin. Why? Why can we never pay this back, you see? In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's paid that debt and we owe Him a debt that can never be paid back. Why? Because He paid the debt of sin and sin demanded death. The only way that we can ever pay Him back is with our life. That's the only way to satisfy the law which asks for life, for blood. And if we, we go and die for our sins, that's just. It's right, just like how the king was just in what? Selling the, the man and his wife and his children and all that he had. He was just in getting them all sold until everything was paid. But there was no mercy in that, you see. And so if we die for our own sins, we, we can satisfy the law. The wages of sin is death. I die, the law's happy. There's justice in that, but there's no mercy whatsoever. And so Jesus came to give us freedom from sin. He came and took our place. He paid that debt that no one else could pay. And that gift was found on G in Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross. And you know, friends, we didn't deserve that one bit. There was nothing good that we did to deserve Christ's mercy, God's mercy, it was simply because of love. It's simply because He loved us, that He was willing to come and die for every one of us. There was no good reason. Angels couldn't find any good reason. Nobody on this earth and in heaven and any other worlds out there, they probably could not find any good reason for Jesus to come and die for our sins, except He loved us. And so you see, friends, when it comes to the debt that we owe, it can never be paid. But remember, you see, friends, Jesus, He commands each of us to forgive. That was His reply to Peter, right? That we should forgive, not only seven times, but 70 times 7. And yet it seems like he almost put a limit to it. But you know, who's counting? Have you ever counted 490 times you had to forgive someone? I don't think I've ever forgiven my children that many times. And you know, my daughter's 10 years old. 
And there's three of them. You know, add them all together. I don't think I've ever had to, quote unquote, forgive them that many times. You see, that probably seemed like too large a number for Peter to comprehend. How could I forgive that much? But you see, the parable simply illustrates how little a person owes compared to what we owe Jesus. How little a person owes us, rather, compared to what we owe Jesus. And that amount that is owed us, 10,000, is comparable to the 490 times that we should forgive, that someone has sinned against us, that we should forgive them, right? That's insignificant to the amount that we owe Jesus, that He's already forgiven us. Do you see that? Yes. Even if someone steals from you 490 times, the same person does it to you 490 times. Jesus is saying that is the equivalent of someone owing you about $10,000 compared to what you owe me. So there is never, ever, ever a good reason that we can come up with to withhold forgiveness from anybody. From anybody. Now, friends, you know, we throw out all sorts of reasons. And people tell me, oh, you never know what this person's done to me. Oh, Ben, you never know what I've been through. But yet Jesus, Jesus is saying here, you can never give me good enough reasons to tell me and to convince me that you shouldn't forgive. There's no, there's no reason. What is the worst thing that someone has ever done to you and you forgive, got to forgive them? That's just one time. That's just one time. You know, I think many of us, even after the first time it happens, we would already put this person to prison until the whole debt is paid, right? We get too sensitive with how people treat us and we react too quickly. What's the problem though, friends? What's the problem? We forgot how much God forgives us. We forgot. And then we we forget to compare with God, not with Humanity. 10,000 is a lot, yes. But you know, friends, what makes us to forget? Why do we arrive at this point where we forget that we actually owed someone so much compared to what this person owed us? Yes, they hurt us. Yes, it was genuine forgiveness that we need to give them. But yet God had to give us genuine forgiveness as well, right? What leads us to forget? Well, it's easy. It's actually easy. We become what we call tunnel vision. We focus on others at the expense of everything else. Not only that, we focus on ourselves as well. Poor me. You know, self is alive and not Christ. We care so much about ourselves and how people have offended us. And we take things so personally and we get sensitive and offended over the smallest of things, the smallest of words, the smallest of actions that people do to us. We get upset because someone didn't talk to you when they walked past you or when they, they came in. Or, you know, we get upset when people don't shake our hands when, when they see you at church. Or we get upset because someone said something to us that offended us. We get upset because someone didn't invite us to a party. We get upset because someone even joked and said we looked funny. We get sensitive. And why? Why does this all happen? Because self, pride, self is alive. We're in self-preservation mode. We care so much about ourselves and our own lives at the expense of everyone else, and we get upset. You know, that, that's, that's why we think this person offended us. 
But sometimes some of these things really doesn't even merit the need for forgiveness. But we get upset and we, we separate ourselves from that. But yes, there are some things that are genuine that really people do hurt us. And we forget to compare ourselves to Christ. We forgot His grace, His mercy, and His love to each and every one of us. You see, Jesus is telling us, stop focusing so much on yourself. Stop focusing even on others and what they've done to you. Focus on me. Jesus says, remember what I have done for you. Look at the cross. Look at my humiliation. Look at my life. Remember the debt that you owe me. And remember how you have treated me and how I have forgiven you and still love you. You see, friends, so often we look at forgiveness as a command. We, we look at it like something we're obligated to do. It's like, uh, you're Christian, you got to forgive, right? We look at it that way. And we see it in the Lord's Prayer. We, we see it. Matthew 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, we're praying, God, forgive us as much as we forgive others. But yet somehow this verse does not change us. We, we know that we should forgive. But we react by saying, well, I'd rather go to hell than forgive that person. Or, or if that person's in heaven, then I don't want to be there, right? And we say such horrible things, things that we really don't mean. But we, what, what we're saying is we really can't forgive this person. That's what we tell others. That's what we tell ourselves. God, I can't forgive them. I can't do it. But you see, friends, forgiveness does not come by focusing on our responsibility and our need to forgive. You know, God says you should forgive because I forgave you. That's a command. Oh, all of a sudden it sounds like the Ten Commandments, right? But it doesn't, it doesn't help us to forgive. God, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. It really just shows how helpless and in need we are, but God really shows us how helpless we are to forgive. It's just like everything else in the Christian journey, right? Keeping the Ten Commandments. It's impossible for us to do it. And just because you memorize it, doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do it, right? We can't do anything without Him. It is impossible to keep the Ten Commandments without the help of God. It's impossible to forgive without the help of God. And we try. We look at the person. We see them. We try and, ah, just like the Ten Commandments, it plagues our thoughts. God, I know what you say, but I can't forgive. I don't want to forgive. We, we throw out all sorts of reasons and we're just rebellious. We don't want to do it. But why? Why? Because we don't have the love of Jesus in our hearts. You see, the Bible says that to whom much is forgiven, the same loves much. This is in Luke chapter 7. If, if we forgive much, we love much. And not, not to forgive others, but if we've been forgiven much, and we remember that, that's where we get the love of God. You know, it's not enough just to have this realization that I can't forgive, but we got to go to the source that can help us to forgive. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can help us 
Because when we realize the love that God has shed on us, it's easier to love others. You see, love. We cannot forgive without love. We cannot. It's impossible. It's only through God. It's only through Jesus. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can have that love. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Friends, we find it difficult to forgive because we do not have the love of God, because we're focusing on people so much that we forget to focus on God. We allow our hatred of others to blind ourselves and make us separate ourselves even from God as well. And it's not to say, oh, I don't want to go to God because God's going to tell me to forgive. It's not that. But when you go to God, it's not only He will tell you, but He'll give you His love. He'll give you the power to do it. He will help you not to hold grudges. He'll help you not to be sensitive. He'll help you not to overreact. He'll help you to forgive and one day forget as well. He'll give you a new pair of eyes. He'll give you a new heart and a new mind. He will give you His love. He will give you His love. He is the only one that can make our hearts soft and willing to forgive someone who has hurt us many, many times over. You know, when we forgive someone, friends, where does it come from? Where does it come from? In Matthew chapter 18, we read this, verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Did you see it, friends? Where do we have to forgive from? It has to come from the heart. It has to be genuine, right? It's not just lip service. We have to forgive from the heart. And the only way that that can happen is God has to change our hearts today. He's got to put His love in our hearts. Love for that person. Love for everyone around us. He has to change us. He has to give us His compassion, His mercy, His grace, if we would just look to Him. Just look to Him. You know, Ezekiel, it says, what God desires to do for us. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, a heart that is not willing to forgive. And I'll give you what? A heart of flesh. My heart, God says. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. You see, when God gives us a new heart, He is the one that will help us to forgive. He will cause us to walk in His statutes. We will feel like doing it. We will desire to do it. We will be enabled and empowered to do it, not unwillingly, uh, unwillingly and grudgingly, but with the desire and the compassion and the love for everybody. But God has to change our hearts first. He has to give us a heart of flesh today. He wants to put His Spirit within us. And doing that, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That's the result. The result is to walk in His statutes, to do His commands. He'll cause us to do it. 
Not that he forces us, but friends, all of a sudden, that's our desire because Christ's love is abiding in us. You know, today, God commands us to forgive just as he has forgiven us. And this is just as important as the Ten Commandments. This is not written in the Ten Commandments. There's no 11th commandment saying, forgive others as I've forgiven you. No, that's in the Lord's Prayer. But this is just as important because it just shows how helpless we are to forgive, just as helpless as we are to do any of the Ten Commandments. But friends, it'll be impossible to do this. And we will always ever remain the unforgiving servants until we allow God to change our hearts. Today, right now. You know, friends, if you're struggling today with forgiving somebody, I don't want you to focus on that person. I don't want you to focus on the command of God to forgive. I just want you to focus on God. I want you to focus on Jesus Christ. I want you to focus on praying and asking for the Holy Spirit that He would take away the stony heart out of your heart and give you a heart of flesh. I want you to pray and claim that promise in Romans 5, 5 that the love of God will be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you one day, God will give you His heart, His love, His desire, His passion, His forgiving spirit. That's the byproduct of a life in Christ. And maybe, just maybe, if you're struggling with forgiveness today, God is saying, my son, my daughter, hold on to me tighter. Come up higher. Walk with me again. Let me show you my ways. Let me show you my desires. Let me show you my love. And as God does that, it will be easier to forgive. This is not about forgetting your problems. This is not trying to put a band-aid over past hurts. We just got to let God to heal us. We got to ask Him to heal us. We got to ask Him for His help. Just as we ask God to help us to not steal and not lie and not cheat and not, right? We ask God, God, help me to forgive. And it might not come just like that, but just as surely as you asked, Surely are His promises. Surely He will answer at the appointed time. So don't stop. Don't alienate yourself from other people. Don't separate yourselves just because we're in self-preservation mode to, I don't want to get hurt anymore. But let's just focus on Jesus today. Ask for His love. Ask for His Holy Spirit. And I know that He'll give it. I know because God says, if you ask, Luke eleven thirteen, I am more than happy to give that. And so let's pray and ask God to give us His heart and His Spirit today. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank You for Your promises. We thank You that You desire to give us such good and wonderful things. Thank You, Lord, that all Your promises are 100% sure. And today, Father, if there are any of my brothers and sisters out there struggling with bitterness or hatred or anger in their hearts, please, Lord, take that away. Take away the stony heart out of their hearts. Give them a heart of flesh. 
Fill their hearts with your Holy Spirit. Transform them from the inside to the out. Give them the peace that passes all understanding. Give them joy in their hearts. Give them your agape love. And Lord, I ask that for myself as well today. We're all human in need of a Savior. We need you more and more each day. Please, Lord, draw close to us is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.